With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And now it's our family-friendly flooring sale. Save up to $1,000 and take advantage of our 24-month special financing on our stain-resistant carpet and stylish luxury vinyl at Flooring America. Sale ends soon, so come in today. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace talking about Iowa's 27-24 victory against Nebraska from Black Friday that seems like it happened a long time ago, but what uh, what a way to end the season for Iowa, a 48-yard field goal with uh, just one second left on the clock. Iowa was in command and control of this game in the first half, doing at the line of scrimmage what it has done for the previous four years that it had won those games against Nebraska as well, just dominating. Uh, and then, and then uh, the second half happened, and I, I think Iowa got pretty comfortable with that two-score lead, which we've seen happen not a lot just this year, Steve, but in past years where Iowa's offense has been uh, less than awe-inspiring, which happens to be most of the years of the Ferentz era, but some years especially <laughs> so. And I would say that this year goes into that especially so category since they, they really didn't run the ball well all year. At the end of the regular season, their statistics make it look like they ran it better than they did. They averaged four-point yards per carry for the season, but that was – by and large, a big catch-up came in this game against Nebraska when Iowa ran for uh, 225 yards at a 7.3-yard-per-game clip. This was not a good running season for Iowa. It was not a good interior offensive line that relative to the rush. But Iowa got it done five in a row against Nebraska. Your thoughts? Well, let's let's start with the big picture for Iowa. And – I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm, I'm going to repeat some of what I said here last week. If, you know, the fact they were in these situations, if you want to have a separate conversation that, you know, why is Iowa even in this situation? Why put themselves in this situation from a personnel standpoint? I'm, I'm open to having that conversation and debate, but I think it's separate from this conversation. And that's probably more of a, of a long-term off-season talk of, you know, what is the realistic expectation slash ceiling for the Iowa football program. But, it, but if we're just having a micro view, when you look at this season and you just went over the rushing numbers, no really reliable running game. Nathan Stanley never took that next step as a senior quarterback. Um, defense, their defensive front was basically AJ Epinesa or bust, frankly. And when you look at the road schedule, we chronicled that for the last, eight, you know, for the eight months leading up to, you know, Labor Day weekend, the start of the season. When you throw all of those things in, and then stuff that we didn't see coming, you know, I think there were there were certainly questions about the interior of the offensive line. But starting with what Michigan put on tape with their inability to pass guys off and handle stunts and zone blitzes, 
They kept seeing more and more of that as the season went on as well. I mean, for this team to go nine and three, I, I really believe this is the best coaching job Kirk Ferentz has done since they had to reinvent their offense the year all those running backs got hurt with Drew Tate no four. Mm. I, I think it's a spectacular coaching job. Now, again, because I know, uh, you know, I know this audience fairly well. I've been broadcasting to them in various formats since 1999. Okay. And, and I know what sets them off because I started my career off provoking them on purpose because it was good for my show. All right. So um, I know that there's going to be a sizable portion of this audience. I don't know if it's a plurality or a majority, but it will be in a not insignificant chunk that will say, yeah, but those are all problems of their own devising. Year after year, we have those same issues, okay? I'm not debating that. I, I even think there's some validity to that. And I, I kiddingly called the Chris Hassel take because he expresses it more eloquently and humorously than anybody else does, all right? So I understand that perspective and I think there's merit to that, all right? But I think it's just a separate conversation from given the ingredients they had in the cupboard and it might be their fault that that's what was in the cupboard but given the ingredients they had in the cupboard to come out of this with a nine and three record and your only three losses, you could have easily won every one of those games. You had the ball and were either going for the win or the tie in the fourth quarter of every one of those games that you lost. That's an incredible coaching job by Kirk Ferentz. Now, something else we may have learned this year is that there's been this notion and I have, fit into it as well, that there's a line of succession here in the Iowa program. Maybe what you're learning, though, is we all have the wrong coordinator. And that, you know, if, if we were talking earlier this year about Phil Parker being a good fit if Michigan State had decided to make a change, you know, why would you let him do that? You know, I, I mean, when you look at what he's done defensively um, and the way that he's evolved that defense – I mean, I, I don't, you know, maybe we have the right idea, just the wrong coordinator there. Now, I have a hard time believing the current AD at Iowa has the balls, okay, <laughs> to walk into Kirk Ferentz's office and say, hey, hey, we're going to have, uh, we're going to uh, pass over Brian for Phil Parker. I, I don't believe that will happen, but maybe we just have the wrong coordinator. Maybe you need to be thinking about that the current head coach or the next head coach is on the staff. It's just his last name's not Ferentz. I happen to agree with you. You agree with that? Okay. Yep. And, and then, I, you know, everything I've said for the last month and a half about Nebraska and Scott Frost, all confirmed in this game. What, what the, the coaching that he did in this game, the way that he handled those last two drives were a complete and total clown show. Clown show, John L. Smith, clown show, Tim Brewster, clown show, clown show, clown, clown show, bad. No, I take it back. You flunked out of clown college with the way that they handled those last two drives. And then I started drawing the Steve Alford parallels here on the pod a month or so ago. Holy crap, did he just go full blast Alford after that game, he's completely, he's, he's in, incapable of taking any blame. And I can just tell you right now, 
if, if, he won't, if a coach won't accept responsibility publicly with even trite platitudes, you sure as hell know he's not walking into the, the, into the room and, and, and privately with the team and taking them. You know what it reminds me of? In many respects, not just, it's not just Steve Alford, but it's like watching that coach, Jason, whatever his name was, on last, last chance you, the last two seasons. All right? I, I, I just, I, I get, I'm very disappointed with him and flabbergasted at what I've seen. And I think what you're seeing is a guy who just cannot contemplate he is ever to blame. He's going to cause a civil war in that fan base. And maybe, and I'm not, I don't follow them closely enough. Maybe it's already brewing. But just as Alford caused one among Iowa fans, he's going to cause one, but on a far greater scale because it's, this is a far bigger brand, Nebraska football, than Iowa basketball. And, 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 with, and because there's going to be a group that's going to never want to admit he's the problem because he's the last tie they have to their glory days. And then there's going to be – the other group's going to grow and grow, and it's going to get angrier and angrier and angrier. You didn't just pee on me and tell me it was raining. You held my mouth open while you urinated in there, all right? You're insulting me. You're telling me I'm not seeing the things I'm actually seeing. This season was not a step forward for them. It was a step back. As one of the people that, that follows us at the Bigger Ten account pointed out to me, they beat three teams last year that won seven games or more. They only beat one of those teams this year. Hmm. This was not a step forward. It was a step back. Because now the quarterback situation, you know, Adrian Martinez did not wasn't, wasn't good when he was healthy. So he never took a step forward. So now you're going to face a full-bore quarterback competition next fall or next off, this offseason as well. I, I, I just, uh, to me, Iowa tried to hand this game to Nebraska. Tried to gift wrap it to them. I said, Merry flipping Christmas. Enjoy the pinstripe bowl. You know, we've been there before. Have a nice, have a nice time in New York City. They tried to give it to him, and he just refused. He kept looking the gift horse in the mouth and then looking away so he could make sure he was shooting himself in the foot. And then, he, then after the game, he blamed everybody under the sun except the person most responsible for it. Yeah. So, uh, I, to me, that, that's what I saw on, Saturday, on, on Friday. Yeah, his commentary, you know, Amir Smith-Marset's kickoff return for a touchdown, you know, his commentary after the game was that, when he was asked about that, why did they stop pooch kicking? And he said, you know, I really don't know because I had just got done calling the plays and I was basically still with the offense. So he was not taking responsibility for that. Well, Iowa's kickoff return came after a pick six, pick six. which yeah. the Nebraska defense was out there for. And then, you know, in the post game, making a comment along the lines that he inherited a team with low confidence. And I, I listened to the entire quote, you know, in context, and it didn't sound as harsh as, you know, just sampling that line would sound, but even mentioning once again for the who knows how many times this season that he talks about inheriting this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, did what did Mac Brown inherit? A team that won two games. Well, he won six. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Nebraska was a smoldering rebuild. And Nebraska's recruiting classes under Mike Riley probably averaged around 27th or 28th in the nation at worst. That's true. Yes, they did. That's almost at, exactly what they averaged. At worst. 
And so it's, it's just, it's not like what Chris Kleiman got at Kansas State, even though, you know, last year, I think KSU won, won, won what, four or five games, but the year before yeah. that, they won eight, and they'd won nine previous to that, but it's not like Kansas State ever is in the top 25 in recruiting. I mean, Scott Frost, he is, you're right, he sounds a lot like how Steve Alford sounded, and, and a lot of the things that he talks about in singularity in and of themselves aren't necessarily wrong. It's just that continuing messaging of distancing himself from his team that is going to wear thin and going to undermine his opportunity to succeed there. Um, I think he already has. Anybody who would have told you they thought he was going to start. John, if I had told you, he, I've been to the future. Scott Frost starts 9 and 15. Would you have believed I had access to a time machine if I told you that? No. I thought, you know, no one, it was a hot no tub time right, machine. <laughs> nice. No one in their right mind thought that he was going to start 9-15, and 15, and it has been an ugly 9-15. and 15. We're two years into this. Hell, at least Rich Rod had found Denard Robinson by the end of his second. We're, we're two years into this. They still don't play any defense at all. They still haven't found their quarterback. What, 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 what's their identity? Scott Frost. Uh, yeah. What's their brand? Scott Frost. What kind of style of football do they play? Scott Frost. There's, there's nothing there. There's just a guy that played quarterback at Nebraska 20 years ago. That's it. That's all there is. And, 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 and it, he's, this is the classic born on third and credited with a triple. And that if, if the guy had the exact same resume two years ever as a head coach, but at group of five central Florida, and his name was anything else other than Scott Frost, no way he gets this job. No way. And now they're now they kind of got a hope that he eventually figures it out and learns on the job. Um, but that's going to require some humility. Now, after a while, Alford acquired some. We talked about this before when he brought Craig Neal in. And when Alford was at Iowa, the big perception a lot of fans had, and I had it too until I got pretty close to, around the program through Greg Lansing and got to go to practice and be around the team and see how they operated from the inside. And so the perception was, well, it's got to be really tough on Steve having his dad there all the time, you know, monitoring you. And I used to think that too from the outside, so I kind of had sympathy for him when I was concerned. And then when I got on the inside and saw the program operated, realizing it was the exact opposite. That, that uh, Sam was his dad's name, if I recall. Sam Correct. Alford was the biggest Steve Alford groupie of them all. And, I mean, Sam Alford used to take Pat Hardy columns and show them to Steve. Can you believe he's saying this stuff about you again? I know that for a fact. So there was no one to ever say, whenever you put anybody in leadership needs this, but particularly a young, talented man in leadership needs this. I don't want to go all biblical here, man, but this is where Paul counsels Timothy, who's himself, in terms of age, a very young man in relation, in correlation to Paul. But he counsels him here, hey, be careful about putting people, and when Paul says young, he doesn't mean age. He means maturity in the faith. Be careful about putting people who are young and immature in the faith. So it could be a guy who's 60, but he just got converted last month, right? Be careful about putting people who are young and immature in the faith in positions of leadership. This creates arrogance. That's what's happening right now in Nebraska. There is no one there 
that would do him a favor every now and then by looking at him and saying, Jane, you ignorant slut. That's wrong. I'm not doing that here. There's no one there who thinks that he just puts his pants on like everybody else does. Everybody, beginning with the AD on down, all owe their livelihoods to him. That AD is tied to Scott Frost. If Frost fails, he's gone too. So he can give Scott Frost a 25-year contract extension if he wants. If Frost, if they get, if Frost goes, he's going with him. He's not picking the next Nebraska coach. The entire, everybody there not named Fred Hoiberg in the entire athletic department now owes everything to the presence of Scott Frost. That's a difficult position to put a 58-year-old man in who's, who's, who's has, you know, this isn't his first rodeo. But now you're talking about a guy who, because of how great he was as a college player, has just had a lot of relationships indoors open up for him and move him quick up the fast track. He did, he's not done any grinding. He's never taken the dirt road. He has no idea how to manage a situation like Maurice Washington or anything like that. And I think you're watching this all play out. And he's digging himself a hole that's going to be too big to dig out of later on. And this division, hello, it's improving. You've got what Minnesota is doing. You've got the Steady Eddie and Kirk Ferentz. You've got, and you know, Purdue took a bit of a step back with all their injuries, but I think they'll be back with a vengeance next year. You still have Fat Fitzgerald there. Yeah, they were 1-8 this year, but they were 8-1 last year, and the previous three years before, they won a combined, what, 33 games or something like that. You know, they don't, they don't have the recruiting base to just roll these teams, Nebraska. They, they are going to need, I even talked about Wisconsin as the class of the division for two decades now, no longer. We're going back to the mid nineties. Uh, I, I think he's digging it. I think we are we are dangerously approaching the point of no return, where he's the hole is so deep he doesn't ever fully dig himself out of it. And I, I really think if he this offseason is pivotal for him as a man, as a coach. I don't know if Tom Osborne is still around. You know, Osborne took over for Bob Devaney when the program was at its pinnacle. Probably lost the next five years in a row at Oklahoma. Couldn't win the big one. He's been there. He, and maybe he's too old now. I don't know. But maybe somebody like that needs to take him aside privately away from the cameras and everything else and say, son, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need to coach this team. You're not aside from this team. You've had two full years. If these guys still don't have confidence, that's on you. Start taking ownership now. This is your program. Almost no players Mike Riley recruited are gone. We've had 83 players or something like that. You know, when you look at the net, net amount of players who have come and gone, I think the net in terms of who's left to who's come in new is like 83 players swing. This has been a total roster makeover thereabouts. This is on you. You've got to own this. And you need to show more humility. There's, where's the esprit de corps? Do those players play for you? Or do, or, or do you think they play for you? No, they need to think they play for you. Not that you think they play for you. Those are two totally different things. I, I think he's in a danger zone. And dude, well, you, I would have never said this two years ago. There's only one coach in Nebraska history who has more losses in his first two seasons than Frost, and that was Bill Jennings uh, in 57 and 58. He had 16 losses. Frost has 15. 
uh, Jennings was replaced a couple of years later by Devaney. Um, his uh, winning, winning percentage after uh, – for any Nebraska coach that has two years is one of the three worst in school history. And, yeah, I mean, you think about next year right now, what do you – I mean, you, you might just off the top of your mind put them as the fifth best team in the, in the West next year, and that includes an Iowa team probably yeah. ahead of them that's going to be doing quite a bit of rebuilding. Uh, so it's, it's something, um, a couple of thoughts on Iowa, their scoring defense this year right now is ranked six in the country at 13.2 points per game. One of the best in school history. And you'd mentioned that retooled line. I agree with you on Phil Parker. If I was to name a, a successor to Kirk Ferentz right now, Phil Parker would be number one on my list. Uh, and it wouldn't be close and that's no disrespect to anybody else. Phil just, Phil knows what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, and I think he's ready for it. A.J. Epinesa, you and I talked about him in the offseason. We told people there's no way he was going to, uh, you know, exceed last year's 10.5 sacks. He didn't, but he got nine. He had 14, sa 14 tackles on, sa on Friday against Nebraska, 14, four and a half for loss, two sacks. A.J. last year in Big Ten games, five sacks, 11.5 TFLs, this year, eight sacks and 13 TFLs. And he was the focal point for offenses this year. Um, I think in many ways he had a better year this year than he did last year. And I, unless that guy just absolutely wants another year in Iowa City, um, which I just, boy, I don't know that financially would be a good move because he's, you think he's a top five pick? No. But I definitely think he's a top 15 pick at the lowest. I don't think he'll be a top five pick because, because quarterbacks always get pushed, get moved up the board. Right. And, um, and, you know, you look at the teams that are going to be up this year, Miami, Cincinnati are both definitely taking quarterbacks. So those are your Tua Tagovailoa teams, your Justin Herbert teams, you know, Joe Burrow teams. Um, and then, so it depends on how many of those there are. And then I think to be in – now, here's what I don't know is what he'll test at. Like, we, I think we all know Chase Young is going to test, like, you know, he's a gold medal decathlete. I think we all recognize that. So he's going to be in there. So I think, I think you could see all three of those quarterbacks be in the top five. Chase Young will be in the top five. So then it's a matter of who else do you think goes up there. Does a corner go up there? Does a safety like a Grant Delpit go up there? Um, but But – I, I definitely think he's, he doesn't go, get below the 15th pick in the, in the NFL draft, no matter what he tests, because of what's on film and because of the role he has been willing to play in his career. And we're talking about the rare – Iowa's had five-star recruits before. You know, they've been like offensive linemen. This is a guy who comes in at a money position, rush end, coming off the edge. His willingness to accept a role, as he did last year, coming off the bench. His willingness to be more of a run anchor, as he's had to be at times this year, with the, with some of the players that they've lost and some of the injuries they've had at linebacker to Welch and others. Uh, I think I think that stuff NFL scouts are going to absolutely love, and they're going to see all of that on film, and they're going to see Iowa kind of turn him loose a little bit more in November. Uh, and, and just say, okay, we'll, you know, let's go get the quarterback now and see what happened with his numbers at that, the multifaceted aspect of it. That if you know, if you draft, if you know, if you draft AJ Epinesa, you don't, he, there's a chance he may never make a pro bowl. 
but you also know at worst, if he stays healthy, he is, he, he, he's a 10 year pro. That, that is a reliable, productive eight to 10 sack a year guy who doesn't mind sticking his, his, his nose in it and against the run. And I think, I think scouts will love that. Now, if he goes to the combine and you would know more about, you know, kind of internally his measurables athletically, if he goes to the combine and runs like a four, five, nine, four, six, one, uh, and, and shows that level of athletic explosiveness and you marry it to the work ethic stuff and the production that's going to be on tape and the technique. Now I do think you could be talking about a top five pick then. Yeah. That's what I think what it would take. Yeah, my guess is he's probably around the four seven five range. Um, I have no idea though, but um, uh, great season by uh, AJ. Well, we don't have another game to talk about. Uh, we'll we'll next week we'll talk. Um, we'll kind of go over your crystal ball predictions and, and see how you did on on those. But now I announced this on um, Twitter on Saturday that. Um, this month, this will be the end of my involvement with HawkeyeNation.com. Does not mean it's going to be the end of the HN podcast, however. Uh, Rob Howe and the gang at Hawkeye Nation will continue to uh, put out not just uh, regular free content the way that we've done since 2009, but they'll be put, putting out you know podcasts as well. And they have some, uh, some names that uh, they'll be revealing, uh, that we'll be revealing on, on Twitter, um, and other forms over the course of the next few weeks, but uh, it's going to be the end for me. I need to step away from really anything that d- distracts from my uh, day job. I am a one of three partners. Uh, we own our own uh, energy consulting and wholesale business, and it's gotten to the point where it just requires all my attention. And the time that I'm not doing that. Uh, you know, I need to be spending it with my family. I've, I've got a 17 year old who's graduating a year early. So I've got only, you know, seven or eight months left of that as well. So this is something that's kind of been building. You and I've talked about it for a long time and this just seems to, to be the right time. And I'm going to have several more podcasts this month where I'm going to take some walks down memory lane, um, do a lot of thank yous, but you know, I, I think it's fitting to, say this here now with you on the podcast, Steve and I go way back to the uh, fall of 2001 when Steve was a daily talk show host in Des Moines on the jock, just starting out his career in in talk radio and the rivals.com network uh, at that time had crashed version one and version two came around and I was a part of that and also working for Voice of the Hawkeyes magazine at that time. So I was presiding over the Rivals.com site, which was HawkeyeNation.com. And Steve reached out to me. I don't remember if it probably was an email, and somehow you found me, and you started having me on your podcast or your your radio show once a week. And, you know, I had had no professional radio experience. I did go to college for it, so I could at least talk. But we were both young, didn't know any better. So you had me on. In the biggest market in the state, on the only sports talk radio show in the state, and that was invaluable to me, for me, relative to the growth I would experience later on in my career, and that began our friendship, one that's lasted for uh, 18 years, nearly two decades, and 
Many of you have heard the way that we've been there for one another, uh, by and large, publicly on TV or on the radio, with a few times where we got sideways. We'll talk about those in a second. But um, we've also been there for one another personally, um, away from the microphones and away from the cameras, uh, at points for our lives as fathers and husbands and, um, you know, entrepreneurs, when, um, when each of us needed a help up and a pickup, sometimes significantly so, the other has been there. And I just want to thank you, Steve, publicly, and it, I wouldn't say it any differently privately. Um, thank you for your friendship, for your loyalty, for the opportunities that you have afforded to me, for your counsel, for loving me, and I love you right back. And I could not have done any of these things that I've been so blessed and fortunate to do these nearly two decades in sports. Um, I really believe that were it not for your involvement at such a ripe age of, of me getting in this space. So I thank you very much for that. Well, man, I, um, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I love you too. And the feeling is, uh, is more than mutual. And, um, you know, this relationship's been, uh, uh, it's been a uh, a great blessing to me over these years as well, and um, I hope that will continue. I mean, with with you off in your world, there'll be some disconnect because we we men are master compartmentalizers, <laughs> and that's how we roll. We get into our tunnels and our our in our bottom lines, and we go through those seasons. But um, you know my number. You know the the door is always open, and uh, it's going to be weird. Um, you know doing this with you in various forums has been a part of, uh, of, of pretty much my entire adult life of, of my entire career. And, um, um, I mean, we have, we've literally grown up together, yeah. uh, in many respects. And, uh, it's just been so many great memories. I know we'll, we'll do a closing pod here soon. I have stuff on Twitter to know. I, because I've been tagged in many of them. Uh, I have seen them. I on purpose didn't, and I'm very appreciative. I, on purpose, I didn't react because I kind of just thought this was your moment and I didn't want to get in the middle of it and figured I could just kind of address everybody when we got here on the right. pod and, and just say, um, you know, thank you. And, um, it, you, you know, um, you guys are, you know, why we do this and and the way that we do it and the reality also is that you were also kind of my own ghetto pass man i didn't have any you know I, I was born here and grew up here but i didn't have any ties to the cyclones and hawkeyes i didn't care and um the opportunity to bounce you know opinions off of you and takes off of you and let you challenge those um no question and, 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 and be on the air to give more of a traditional Hawkeye fan perspective that unquestionably aided the credibility that I needed to establish to ever have any foothold and, and, you know, launch point for success later on. So I'm, I'm indebted to that on your end, uh, every bit as much. So, um, it's going to be weird. You know, you and I, you mentioned we have been talking about this. 
And there was, we looked at, there was a couple ways this was either going to go that either right. we were going to kind of go like super duper all in more than we even were, or you were going to have to step back because given where your life was at and, um, um, I'm going to miss it, you know, uh, no question about it. And, uh, it's been a ton of fun. It'll seem weird not doing this just cause it's just been a part of my routine except for a brief couple of years when I stepped away, when I first made the transition to news talk. But, um, it's just been, it's been a ton of fun, man. Yeah, it has it, been. It, it has. And I don't want to go to, too far down any rabbit holes because we will do a, a memory lane Miller and Dace one last, um, conversation there or, or one last for now, because you just never know. I don't ever close doors all the way, but, um, I, I, I was really taken aback this weekend at the number of people that replied to the tweet that I made linking the article explaining I was leaving. I think it's, it's nearly 500 replies. And mm. I would say at least half, if not two thirds of them, in, in addition to another three dozen, three score rather DMS, cause I leave my DMS open, uh, which has sometimes been an adventure, but, uh, the, the, those mentions have included Miller and Dace. And when I think back, I'd mentioned the, the radio introduction that you gave me. And then in 2005, when I moved to Iowa, convinced that I could somehow literally talk my way into a daily sports talk show, but I had no guarantees and, and really no prospects. Um, Mediacom reached out to you and I to do a TV show on the Mediacom Connections channel, which they called, which I thought the name was horrible, Sci-Hawk Talk State of the Nations. And we did that mm-hmm. show once a week from fall through basketball season. We did that for, I think, gosh, three or four years. And that, that pairing was responsible nearly single-handedly for me not being able to get through a dinner at a restaurant in West Des Moines without somebody coming up and wanting to introduce themselves to me, which I was always flattered by. And that, that, that show, and, and even if I was in Eastern Iowa, people recognize so many people watched that show. Even my friends from the high school I graduated in, in Western Illinois, they got <laughs> the Mediacom Connections channel. And that show was, it was, it was a game changer from a visibility standpoint. And then of course the, uh, you know, F bombs led to Miller and Dace. Um, and that was <laughs> one of the highest rated shows in the history of Des Moines radio, not just sports. So we've had a heck of a run and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that, but, um, just wanted to say thanks here and we'll, uh, we've got a few more shows up our sleeve. So this is not the last one. And again, this is not the last HN podcast. It will survive. Uh, it will survive me. We've done over a thousand of these podcasts, Steve, and we did uh, a year and a half worth of radio. So you're talking about probably 250 uh, radio shows a year divided by two. I'm not good at math. So nearly 400 radio shows at two hours a day, in addition to all the TV shows we did together and all the guest appearances I made on your shows through the years. Man, we've we've gotten our ten thousand hours in, 
together. We have been a duo for quite some time, and it's the emails and texts I'm getting from people saying that they were kids listening to us or oh. watching us. I'm telling you, man, one day you wake oh. up and you're the old guy, and we're not even 50 yet. So we were kids when we started doing this. But man, it just blows my mind. These people. I, I was, I was in seventh grade, and I would, you know, I would, I would record the shows and listen to Miller and Day. It's just, it's mind blowing how long we've been doing this. It is. It's, it's. Um, I mean, when we, when you, me, and Corey Coon drove out for the Iowa Iowa State game in two thousand and two, that was a <laughs> night. Listening to old gangster rap to see how many of the words we still remember. Do you remember that? Oh, sure. I still have them. Yeah. And, John, that was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. That was, that was, that was 17 years ago, right? Yep. yep. It was 2019. Yeah. Yep. 17, 17 years. years ago, which means that's that I cannot believe the time. You know, everybody told me when we started having kids, it goes by fast. And when they're really young, and they're wish, a ton of fun. You're wishing but they're also it would. the most work then because yeah. you have to do everything for them, right? And um, and then and you think there's no way this goes by fast. And then the minute they hit like twelve or thirteen. Yeah, Grace Grace wasn't even born yet when we went out there. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah. And uh it's hard to believe it's been this many years. I slept I, yeah, I slept on the floor in your apartment that night. When we got back. Yeah. It's been a long time since you lived in an apartment. I mean, yeah, because that the, meant we didn't even own the fir our first house in Urbandale yet. Yeah, wow. that, for, that I house sat for you one week. Yes. And you were gone, and I yep. filled in doing the, the Steve Day show, and that was right after the Sean Green stuff, and I stayed in the basement the whole time because I thought the Jewish Mafia was going to shoot the windows out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what's funny now is like the most one of the most loyal listening blocks I have to my daily show on the Blaze now is uh, is our Jewish audience. Man, I they love our the show we do every day. Well, so, they must not have the internet because nothing ever dies. We'll talk about so many more of these before we go. There's there's so many more, and it's going to be so fun uh, remembering and misremembering, and uh, we'll do that here before we get out. But uh, Thank you, sir. We'll do it again here soon. You bet. All right. We'll talk to you down the road.